Well, good morning and welcome to Trace Church. Uh, we are going to be talking about neighboring today, but that is not what we're talking about. So if you've ever had neighbors like that, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Hopefully you're not that neighbor, but uh, we're going to have a good conversation about that today. And I need to let you guys know up front, I've been battling a cold all week, and so I'm a little bit fuzzy up here, but no worries. I took some Theraflu and a shot of tequila before I came up, so we're, no, I'm, the Theraflu is true, but the other's not. And um but I'm trying to stay focused, so just bear with me. I don't sound like myself. And man, talking about a southern accent, that lady right there had a southern accent, if you guys think I have one. Well, hey, uh, we want to just say thank you for being here. We really do. I mean, we say that every week. You probably expect us to say that every week, but you need to know from the bottom of our heart, thank you for being here. And especially if you're a guest here today, maybe you came on the other end of someone's invitation. And what I need you to know is that if you were invited into this place, it's because they love you. And they know that we'll love you when you come here. And so thanks for uh, accepting that invitation that was given to you. Well, last week we began this new series called Out of Focus. And we began this conversation about how when life just kind of catches us off guard and we get caught up in the busyness and just the hectic pace of life, we often get out of focus. And our priorities get out of focus. And we talked about how this actually happens in the church as well because as we are putting together the focuses of this church and the things that we want to be about and how we want to be a blessing to this community, there are so many good things that we could do. And so what happens often in the church is uh, we make the mistake, and I've been there as well, where people come to me and say, hey, we should do this. And you're like, you know, that's good, let's do it. Hey, we should do this, we should do this, we should do this, we should do this. And what happens is we start saying yes to so many good things that we're not able to be great at anything. And so, I, I don't know if you've ever read the book from Jim Collins, but he talks about how this, this idea, how good is the enemy of great. And so, we want to be great at a few things, but in order to do that, we, we are going to have to say no to some really good things. And so, what we've decided to do is say, all right, in order to keep our focus on the main thing, what are the three top things that we want to make sure we never lose focus of? And so last week, Corey got up here and he talked to you about our first one, which is the next generation, and how we're going to invest time and resource into the next generation, developing them up, because they're not the church of tomorrow, they are the church of today. And today, we are going to have a conversation around neighboring. This is our next main focus here at Trace Church. Now, before we get to this, I want to talk about something that you're likely experiencing, like myself, in our community, in our culture today. If you watch the news at all, if you're on any social medias, you know that the political tension in our culture and the racial tension in our culture is unlike anything that I've seen in my lifetime. Now, I don't know how old some of you guys are in here, but I'd say many of you are like me. This is the most tension that we've felt when it comes to the political temperature and the racial temperature of our nation. And I'm even watching people on Facebook uh, defriend other people because it's like, hey, I, this just happened to me last night. It's like, hey, if you don't agree with what I'm saying, you can just unfriend me. And I'm like, mom, it's really not that big of a deal. No, I didn't. <laughs> but I, I bet you know what I'm talking about. And it's unfortunate, and, and honestly, it saddens me. And as followers of Jesus, we do need to be asking ourselves a question. What can we do? What does God want us to do? How can we add value? How can we add health into a very unhealthy situation? And I'm going to make a statement in just a second. And this statement 
is probably going to catch you off guard, and it's probably going to be hard for you to believe, but I can assure you this statement is not made flippantly. It's been thought through. It's been processed together as a team. It's been prayed over. And so the statement I'm going to make in just a second is going to be something that I believe will get us the most traction when it, become, when it comes to the unhealthy environments that we're seeing happen in our culture today. But before we get there, I want to talk to you about politics really quick. We're not going to be a political church, okay? And I need you to know that up front. Uh, we're not going to be a right-wing conservative church, which sometimes is automatically associated with the church. We're not going to be a liberal church. And I've even had people come and talk to me and say, hey, we're looking for a liberal, liberal church. And I'm like, what does that mean? We want to be a church that's founded in Jesus, period. Period. And so, yeah, somebody's clapping. You can clap. Is somebody, yeah, clap. Go ahead. I think somebody was clapping. If not, I'm sorry. It's, it was that slow clap, like, here we go. Who's going to join in? Who's joining me? Here we go. Yay. All right. Yeah, amen. Where was I? I don't even know where I was now. All right. Um, we're not going to be a political church because here, here's what happens. Anytime we start to p- bring any label, whether it's political in nature or any other nature, any type of label to the church, what happens is exclusivity. It breeds exclusivity. And I want to remind us that Jesus actually came 2,000 years ago to break the chain of exclusivity. Because at that point in time, only certain people can, c- could be a part of the kingdom of God and especially focusing on the Jewish people. And Jesus came and said, no, this The kingdom of God is for everyone. And he died on a cross so that all of us could have the opportunity to know our Heavenly Father. And so we're not going to breed exclusivity here. And so you need to know we're not going to be a political church. So here's the statement that I want to make that may catch you off guard. I believe, we believe, the best thing that we can do to add health and value into this political tension, this racial tension that we're seeing surface in our nation right now is this. Love your neighbor. Now, some of you, you immediately hear that, and you're like, oh, that's too simple, Aaron, or that's too spiritual, or of course you would say that, or no, I, I believe it to the bottom of my toes. Love your neighbor. And if you have a hard time understanding why I believe that is the best thing that we could collectively do, I'm going to take the rest of our time together and start a conversation that I think will help you to see things the way that we do. I hope it does. And we're going to build the case for why we feel so strongly about this. Let's start here. Neighboring is not a new concept. Neighboring has actually been around for thousands of years. And what I want to be careful is that you don't confuse neighboring with neighborhoods. Because neighborhoods didn't come on scene until probably the early 1800s. But neighboring has been around for thousands of years. And many of you actually know the Ten Commandments. You've heard the Ten Commandments. But I'm, I'm surprised how often people don't remember that neighboring is actually in the Ten Commandments. Let me read you a couple of them out of Exodus chapter 20. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey or jet ski or boat or motorcycle, whatever else you want to throw in there. But as you can see from the very beginning, the law that came down from Moses when he came down off of Mount Sinai had neighboring included in it. So we now know that neighboring is not a new concept, but neighboring is also not a dying concept. Today's city officials are focusing more and more on neighboring because the more conversational and relational that neighbors are, studies have shown that there's less crime in their neighborhoods and communities. 
Current home developers of new neighborhoods are intentionally designing their lots and communities with neighboring in mind. They're building lower fences and even creating community events that deepen friendships and this idea of neighboring. These developers understand that people are seeking community and relationships, and if they can help facilitate that, then they're going to build stronger communities and neighborhoods, and ultimately people are going to want to move into their neighborhoods. In their book, Art of Neighboring, Dave Runyon and Jay Pathak talk about this neighboring initiative that's actually taking place not too far from us up here in Denver and how it's changing the landscape between the church and the city because the city has learned that one of the best ways to establish healthy communities is through good neighboring. And the church is actually one of the best places to get that message out. Now, these are all good things, right? These are things that we wouldn't argue. These are things we should pay close attention to because none of us would argue the importance of building friendships and being relational. None of us would argue the value of churches working with cities to make our communities better. But for our conversation this morning, the subject actually goes much deeper. Because for us here at Trace, the bigger motive is how we reflect the life and love of Jesus with everybody that we come into contact with. Because for us, it always, it always begins with Jesus. And so here's what Jesus says on the subject of neighboring. Many of you know this as the great commandment. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. All the law. Now, a couple interesting things about this passage. Number one, the Pharisee who asked him this question didn't say, hey, what are the top two commandments? What did he say? What's the most important commandment? And so Jesus answers, answers it. He says, hey, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And then he gives the second one. But I do not want you to miss this. He doesn't say the second is this or the second is, is really important as well. He says the second is like it. He just compares loving your neighbor with the importance of loving God with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our mind. Please do not miss the emphasis here. Because if I were to paraphrase this, I would say what Jesus is telling us is we actually can't love God with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our mind if we don't love our neighbor. How many of you guys are on Facebook? Uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, raise your hand really quick. Crowd, crowd participation. Okay, most of you, most of you are on some type of social media. So when you're on Instagram or Twitter and you see something that you like, what do you do? You hit the, the heart button, right? If you're on Facebook and you see something that you agree with or something that you like, you hit the like it button. Here's what I want to do because I believe this subject is so critical and important to our church and to our culture. Every time... From now on, you're on social media. When you hit a heart button because you like something, when you hit the like button because you like something on social media, I want you to remember the second is like it. Loving your neighbor is like 
loving God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind. Jesus wasn't asked what the top two were. He was just asked what the number one was. But he knew he couldn't explain number one without telling us the second one that is like the first. A few years ago, Emily and I were still living down in Arizona. And we had a couple of new neighbors move into town or move into our neighborhood. And we've done our best to try to be good neighbors. Uh, this is something that we're passionate, we're passionate about. And so we had these new guys move into town. It was a, a, a girl and a guy that were boyfriend and girlfriend, weren't married. And we invited them to come down to the house to get to know them a little bit. And Emily befriended the gal a lot more than I was able to befriend the guy. And so they start spending some time together. And Emily went down to their house and noticed they were very different than us. And good, bad, or indifferent, they were just different than us. And they had Buddha and they had Hinduism represented in their house. And they had some Christianity things represented in their house. And quickly, we understood, because I've met people like this, they worship all religions. And so uh, Emily, again, began to build this relationship with this gal more and more. And as we were approaching Easter... Emily extended an invitation. This is after months of getting to know them. And said, hey, would you guys be interested in coming to Easter with us? And the gal looked back at her and said, no, probably not. And she paused and said, can we still be friends? Now, I'm speculating a little bit, but I bet she gave that answer because at some point in her life, some Christians befriended her. And after they invited her to come do something, maybe it was a church service or some church event, and, they, and she turned them down, that was the end of their friendship. It's not what it's going to be about for us here. And one of the things that we've learned about neighboring that's so important is how it teaches us to love people that are not like us. And so we continued the friendship with this couple, even though they never came to church with us. Guys, one of the greatest values in neighboring is that you learn to love people who are not like you. And here's why I say that it's a value. We often surround ourselves with people that are like us. But the kingdom of God has no filter on age, ethnicity, skin color. And so when we're learning what it looks like to love our neighbors, we cannot have filters. We cannot have filters. And it leads me to the one thing today. Jesus wants us to love the neighbors that we have, not the neighbors that we choose. I want you to think about that. If we're going to do this right, if we're going to do this the way that Jesus wants us to do it, we love the neighbors we have not the neighbors that we choose. Now, time out for a second, and I'm truly going to get off subject for just a moment. So time out, and then we'll time back in, whatever that is. I know we live in a very white demographic, but I don't want to lead a white church. And the reason I say that is because I want this church to look as much like heaven as possible. And I don't, even, I don't know what that means. All I'm asking is for your partnership and helping us bring as much diversity into this place as we can because it should resemble heaven. So I don't know how you can partner with us in that, but it's my invitation to you to partner with us and help us to make this place as diverse as possible. Time in. Guys, today, the people who live around you are more unlike you than ever before ever before, whether they represent different religions, ethnicities, political perspectives, differing opinions on morality issues, the people who live around you are probably not like you. And when we learn to love people not like us, we grow in something called selflessness. And selflessness is arguably one of the best Christ-like attributes that any of us could have 
as we represent Jesus to our neighbors and to anyone else that we come into contact with. And when our only agenda, our only agenda is to love them, regardless of how different they may be, we bring value and health into unhealthy situations. Let me be clear about this, because even though we want everybody to come to a saving faith in Jesus, we do, right? I mean, my hope is that we'll pray for our neighbors. We do want everyone to come to a saving faith in Jesus. That's my hope. But we don't love our neighbors simply because we want them to become Christians. We love our neighbors because we are Christians. That's our motive. And so there shouldn't be any other agenda. Now, again, a couple years ago, uh, living in the same house where we met these other neighbors, when we first moved into that neighborhood, I learned about, and I'm going to make up her name here, Sally. We'll call her Sally. And Sally lived right beside us, and she was this crotchety old woman. And I, I was warned about Sally when we moved in the neighborhood. And people would tell us, hey, be, be careful <laughs> with Sally. Be, be aware of Sally. And I remember my first run-in with Sally. Uh, I had planted a palm tree in my backyard. And the palm tree was, of course, in my yard. But it was going to end up growing into Sally's Palo Verde tree that was growing way over her fence into my backyard, and when Sally noticed that my palm tree was going to intrude on her Palo Verde tree that was growing over the fence into my backyard, she came. Am I doing something? Okay. All right, sorry. So Sally came over to let me know about how she wasn't excited about my new palm tree. And now I could have been a good pastor, and I could have been a good neighbor, and said, Sally, you know what, you're right. You know, I'll move my tree, but, but I didn't. I decided to let Sally know of how educated I was on the uh, issues of property boundaries. Because I said, Sally, honestly, you know, I'm allowed to cut your tree because as, you know, when it comes to property boundaries, you're allowed to cut anything that's growing into your yard, even if it's your neighbor's tree. And I thought Sally was going to be amazed by my, my skill and education on property boundary, but she wasn't. And so we left that conversation, not as enemies, but very frustrated. I remember weeks went by and maybe even a couple months. And I remember seeing Sally one day, because um, I hadn't seen her for that period of time. I remember seeing her one day outside of her house, and she looked very ill. And so I came up and said, hey, you know, I haven't seen you in a while. How, how are things going? You doing okay? And she said, no, I'm not. She goes, I had a heart attack. I actually came close to dying. And I don't even know who's in Sally's life. I'm like, did you have somebody to call? And she was like, yeah, my son came and got me. And I said, Sally, if you would have just cut that stupid tree, you wouldn't have been so stressed. No, I didn't say that. <laughs> but I said, I'm sorry. And, and is there anything that we can do? And I talked with Sally and I asked her, I said, can I pray for you? And she said, yes. And so I prayed for her. And she cried, and I cried, and we departed that day as friends. After that, Sally, without me saying another word about her tree, hired somebody to come cut her tree. And I started to do a lot of her landscaping for her, gave her our number, made sure she knew that she could call us anytime her health was in jeopardy or anything else. And we became friends, and so... 
I didn't need that gasoline after all. Uh, I'm sorry. sorry. Guys, do me a favor and don't wait until something goes wrong before you become the neighbor Jesus has asked you to be. Don't we do that sometimes? Maybe even happen with your family or friends or relationships that you've had that if there's distance come in between you for whatever reason and when actually something goes wrong, we forget about a lot of those things really quick, don't we? I don't know what differ- differences you may have with your neighbor. I'm just going to stand up because that's going to keep happening. I don't know what differences you may have with your neighbor, but I can assure you they're small in comparison to other things. When Jesus said love your neighbor, he actually uses this Greek word agape for love. And he, there's a few words in the Greek that he could have used for love, but he chooses the one agape when he says love your neighbor. And agape is a very specific type of love. It's a love that only comes from God. It's unconditional. It has no strings attached. And guys, if we love our neighbors with strings attached, it really is no love at all. And so my invitation to you is to love your neighbors with agape love. Do I want them to hear you speak of Jesus? Yes. Do I want you to go invite your neighbors to come to this church? I do. But when they turn you down, you don't ever turn them down. Or you don't ever turn your back on them whatsoever. Because when we cease to make ourselves available, we're no longer considered a neighbor. Well, at least we're no longer considered a neighbor in the definition that Jesus gives us. And there's no better place to define this than in the Good Samaritan. So let's read this together because this is the best place that you're going to see what a neighbor is in the context of how Jesus would describe it. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it, he answered. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, you've answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came by and, and saw him, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. And then Jesus says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. I want you to pay attention to something here as well because something just happened and we often overlook it. Because Jesus didn't say, who was the good neighbor to him? Because three people passed him by. There was a Levite, there was a priest, and then there was this Samaritan. Jesus doesn't say, hey, who was the good neighbor? He says, who was the neighbor? And so if we're going to define neighbor These are three things that we can conclude. It's someone who was in proximity, someone who saw a need and met it, and someone who made themselves available. 
Again, the, the priest and the Levite, they were in proximity. They saw the need, but they didn't meet, meet it. And they didn't make themselves available. And so neighbor, in the best way that we could define it, is somebody who is in proximity. They saw a need and met it, and they made themselves available. Now, in this context, I've got to be true to the text here. In this context, this is not really talking about your neighborhood. This is not talking about people who live right around you. This is talking about people that you come upon any, any, anywhere. At work, where you may play, where you go to school. I don't know what to do here. All right, we'll keep going. Um, and so with, in that context, in that context, a neighbor could be somebody you work with. It could be somebody that you uh, have a hobby with. It could be somebody you go to school with. And so, I want to be clear to the text, but for us, I want to be clear here, for us, we are going to practice neighboring with the people who live in our little village. We're going to practice neighboring with the people who live around us, who are always in our proximity, because in the time of Jesus, they didn't have what we would now call neighborhoods. Now we actually have people that live with us all the time. Yes, they don't live underneath your roof, but they live with you all the time. They are always there and so if there's a good place to start let's start there and as we learn to love them as we learn to selflessly love them with this idea of agape love if we get it right with our neighbors that live right around us we're probably going to get it right with people that we come in contact with everywhere else now as we often do with all of our sermons let's keep it real because some of you are thinking to yourself right now Aaron you don't know who my neighbor is like, you don't know how hard this is going to be. How many of you have that neighbor who makes everyone else miserable who lives around them, right? Some of you guys are like, I don't know if I should raise my hand, but yeah, I do too. And I actually had a good story, but they showed up today, so I actually couldn't tell the story. So I'm just kidding. I actually do have two neighbors. Just wait. There's a couple of our neighbors right there. We love those guys. But we get it. We get it that this is not always easy. And listen, we know that there are those neighbors who are next to impossible to love, and I'm not asking you to be best friends with them. I'm not. But as followers of Jesus, don't miss this, we don't get a choice in whether or not we love them. As disciples of Jesus, we are called to love even our enemies. And since most of us don't even get that right, let's start with our neighbors. Let's start with loving people that are not like us. All right, let's do this. Anybody know the Mr. Rogers song they can sing real quick? Nobody? Okay. There we go. Thank you. So, guys, we understand it. We understand there are going to be people that are very, very different than you, people that are very hard to love. And so we're not asking you to be best friends with them. We're just asking you to love them the way that Jesus calls us to love them. And we're also not asking you to be that obnoxious neighbor that doesn't know good boundaries. Solomon even talked about this, when he had, and he has a couple proverbs I'm going to share with you. He says this, this is Solomon, one of the wisest men who ever lived. Seldom set foot in your neighbor's house, too much of you, and they will hate you. <laughs> right? Okay, if you're not listening to me, just listen to Solomon, wisest guy that ever lived. Or how about this? A loud and cheerful greeting early in the morning will be taken as a curse. 
Anybody have that neighbor where it's like every morning they get up and it's like, the sun came up again. Good morning, neighbor. I, don't th- I think of Ned Flanders from The Simpsons. Anybody? Anybody? Yeah. No, we don't want to do that. That's not what we're talking about. Don't be that obnoxious neighbor. Here's what I am trying to say. As we grow in this idea of loving our neighbors, don't be the neighbor that everyone tries to avoid, but also don't be the neighbor that tries to avoid everybody. My seven-year-old daughter and I experienced this a little bit. Lily and I, when we first moved into the house that we now live in, uh, we moved back in March, and we decided to go around the neighborhood and introduce ourselves, and so I'm knocking on doors and saying, you know, hey, we're, I'm Aaron, this is Lily, and and so we got greeted at least by three people just through their screen door. And I get it. They don't know who I am. I'm a stranger. And so they're like, what do you want? And I'm like, hey, I'm Aaron. We just moved, in t- moved into the neighborhood. And I kid you not, three separate people. We just moved in. Three separate people said, are you the pastor? I'm like, does everyone have to be warned when a pastor moves into the neighborhood? This is ridiculous. And so sometimes I want to actually feel the stereotype that's going on in their head by carrying a megaphone up and down the sidewalk. Repent now or go to hell. (laughs) Repent now or go to... I mean, give me a break. This is ridiculous. But we're learning to love our neighbors, and we we have some great neighbors, and uh, it's been fun. Here's the deal. We understand that loving your neighbor is not always easy, as it sounds, We understand the possibility that right now you're praying really hard that some of your neighbors will move. But if we're going to do this the way that God designed it, we must, must love the neighbors that we have, not the neighbors that we choose. Once again, as followers of Jesus, we don't have the liberty in picking those who are easiest to love. We simply love, and in doing so, we bring a little more of heaven to earth. And just in case I have not made my case with you yet, I want to show you three more times that this is mentioned specifically in the New Testament. First one's in Romans, Paul's letter to the Romans. He says, the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall shall not steal, you shall not covet. And whatever other command there may be, they're summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Next one is in Galatians, Paul's letter to the Galatians. For the entire law is the for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law is fulfilled when we do this, guys. Last one in James. If you really keep the royal law, the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. So how do we bring value and health into unhealthy situations? Whether it's political in nature, racial in nature, or whatever it may be, we listen to Jesus, and right beside the importance of loving God with all our heart, soul, and mind, he says, learn to love your neighbor as yourself. So let me end by giving you some really practical steps. And one of the things you're going to learn about us, if you're not already, as a church uh, I'm not interested in you guys coming here and just being in agreement with me. Maybe not all, you're not always going to be in agreement with me, but I'm not interested in you just coming here and being in agreement with me. I'm interested in us actually taking steps toward Jesus together and encouraging one another and understanding that in order to bring health into unhealthy situations, that there's some change maybe required on our part. And so do this for me really quick. Here's what we're going to end with. Everybody pull out this. You received one of these when you walked in today. And so this is going to be our very practical step 
towards Jesus together in loving our neighbor. This is a magnet, as you can see, and if you didn't get one when you came in, there's some out in the court or in the lobby that you can grab as you leave here. And so for some of you, your action step today is simply this. Learn one of your neighbor's names. Learn one of your neighbor's names and put it on this magnet. Now, again, let's have an honest conversation. Some of you have been living around the same neighbors for years, and you still don't know. And so you're going to have to get very, uh, like, ninja, and you're going to have to go and find out what their names are, but maybe asking other neighbors, and because you're going to be embarrassed to ask them. Or maybe you're like me. Sometimes I do this, come up and say, listen, I'm embarrassed to ask this because I know I should know your name by now, but what is your name? Because I'm attempting to be a better neighbor, and in order to do that, I need to start with your name, and so you ask them. And here's the thing. In these studies that I shared with you earlier, uh, the big indicator of whether or not it was going to make a community better was the willingness for people to learn others' names. This is where it starts. It really is. Because there's power in knowing someone's name. Because if you come out and you're putting your trash out on the curb one day and you see Joe, but you don't know it's Joe, it's like, I should know his name, but I don't, so I'm not going to start a conversation. And you go back in. But if you come out and you now know Joe's name and you see Joe, it's like, Joe, what's up? And you start a conversation. And who knows where that'll go. Maybe that'll be the only greeting that it is. But it starts by knowing people's name. For some of you, you're already ahead of the game here. And you already know quite a few of your neighbors. And so for you, your step today would be out to, to fill out this whole magnet. I don't know if I have this. No, we'll come back to that. To fill out this whole magnet. And put all of your neighbors on here. And put it on your refrigerator. Now some of you, you're way ahead of the game. And this is what Emily and I have started to do. As you get to know everybody in your neighborhood, you start to fill out magnets for people that start to move in your neighborhood. So we just had some new neighbors move in right across the street from us, and we already know who our neighbors are, so we fill out, filled out a magnet, went over to their house and said, hey, we understand it's really hard to get to know people. It's, it's hard to get to know everybody's names of people who live around you. So here's a magnet with everybody's names who lives around you. Think about what would happen to your neighborhood if you became what the Bible would call the person of peace in your neighborhood, the person that's most welcoming of people living and moving into your community. And so for maybe you, it's one name. Maybe it's filling the whole magnet. Maybe for some of you, it's starting to fill this magnet up and giving to new neighbors that move in. Let me share one last story, and I think you'll appreciate this. Um, not too long ago, uh, we lived in a house right down, the right down the road, more in the central part of town. And I got to know my neighbor really well. His name was Chip. And uh, Chip was helping me resurface a table in my garage. And we needed to get the table from my garage to his garage. And so I, I texted him and said, hey, man, do you mind to get your trailer again? I hate to bother you with this because he let me borrow his trailer before. And it's like, we're going to need your trailer to get this big table from my garage to your garage, even though it wasn't that far and so I just felt bad even asking him, asking him, and I said, man, sorry for the hassle with all of this, Chip. Except when I said that, I actually did voice text, and so I said, sorry for the hassle with all of this, Chip, but I didn't, it didn't translate as Chip. It translated as another four-letter word that I really don't want you to use with your neighbors. And so he responded back not too long afterwards. He said, oh, no worries, no worries, don't worry about it. And so I'm reading his text, and then I look, and I see what I said, 
And he knows I'm a pastor, for goodness sakes. And I'm looking, and I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. And I felt so bad. So I promise you, I'm not telling you to use those kind of four-letter words uh, when it comes to neighboring, even though sometimes you may want to. And so we got to be careful that we're neighboring. Here's why I share that story. There are three four-letter words that I don't want you to forget today as we leave. And we'll close with this. Here they are. Like. Don't ever forget the word like. Every time you're on social media, don't forget that Jesus said the second is like it. Loving your neighbor is like loving God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Do not miss the emphasis of that. Do not forget that word like. The second one is love, agape love. If we're going to do this the way that Jesus wants us to do it, it's no strings attached. We're not loving the neighbors that we choose. We're loving the neighbors that we have. And then the last one is here. It has to start somewhere, and we believe it starts here. Will you make an action step with us today? Don't go home. Don't put this in a drawer. Put it on your refrigerator and start moving towards this idea of loving your neighbor as yourself. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for making things crystal clear in your word. Thank you for giving us instructions to make our culture, our environments, our homes a better place. And sometimes when we say things like, just love your neighbor, it's too simple. And because it's too simple, we decide not to act on it. And how foolish we would be to do that because you made them simple for a very good reason. You want everybody to be able to make these steps toward you. And so as we learn what it looks like to, learn, to love our neighbor even the most difficult ones. God, partner with us. Show us that this really isn't, isn't about us. It's a how we bring health into often unhealthy situations. Father, we love you. We thank you. Would you now partner with us as we make this step together? It's in Christ's name we pray. Everybody said?